Welcome to Innovation Friday. This is where your startup journey begins. We talk about entrepreneurship and things that are interesting for early stage founders, like rock bottom and most rewarding moments. Today we are happy to have Josh Graham with us. Welcome, Josh. Hi, Adrian. Josh is passionate about making a social and environmental impact. For the last five years, Josh has been running various charities and startups with a focus on sales, product, and fundraising. This prepared him for our radically changing world. He believes that innovation in construction can be a catalyst for improvement across the world. Currently, he is the co-founder and CEO of Ehab, a weather risk management tool for the construction industry. So Josh, how did you come up with this idea? Were you building a house when an extreme weather event delayed the construction works? <laughs> it, Adrian, it's an incredibly long and winding story. It all started for rehab when I graduated from university and I had had, well, not such great experience living in student housing and I wanted to, you know, try to create better student housing. So founded Ehab as a, initially as a sustainable student housing business and tried to go through, you know, building some buildings myself. Okay. And that wasn't so easy with someone who had no experience doing that. Many twists and turns along the way and, you know, more networking events than you can shake a stick at. And, and you know, the right connections just fell into place. And, and me and my technical co-founder were talking with some people one day about, you know, smart contracts in construction. And this concept of weather risk came up and, and, and it being something that is a real issue. And so at that point, we, you know, we built a little bit of a prototype. We started to pull some, some, some allies together, if you like, and then we applied for a grant. And that's, that leads us up to where we are today. This journey, it sounds like there were, as you said, a lot of struggles. What was the rock button moment where, where you said, okay, that, that was the moment where we struggled the most? <sighs> I think there's more, <laughs> more than I can, more than I can count, but I think the first moment was probably when originally we were trying to pitch the sustainable student housing concept and some investors basically said, sustainability and housing, that's, that's not important, is it? And sort of you realizing that the thing that you care most about is something that an investor cares least about was, was quite, quite, quite a negative point. But then, you know, over the years, we then pivoted into trying to build a, a financing platform so that small developers could find finance just as the, you know, that was one of the problems we'd encountered was that we couldn't find the, the right people to invest in these projects. That didn't go so well, unfortunately. We then sort of tried to do some more work in affordable housing and tried to build tools to help, you know, large affordable housing developers here in the UK to try to, to be better. We stumbled upon blockchain technology, which my co-founder Felipe was really interested in. And uh, yeah, so many moments, probably we ended up flying all the way to Dubai to try to get an investor on board and ended up staying there longer than we had anticipated and coming home empty handed and just sort of being completely exhausted at the end of it. Yeah, that's, that wasn't a good moment. <laughs> and what kept you motivated all these years, not giving up and continuing it? What was it? I think there's like a, there's a short term and a long term. So in the short term, it's kind of like always remembering that every single moment is a learning experience and that even in those rock bottom moments, you can take away a lot of lessons and that makes you stronger as a person, but also as a business leader or whatever it is. So in the short term, just knowing that 
there's not really a wrong answer. You're just always learning. But then I think in the, in the long term, I didn't start the business to make money ultimately, you know, and the whole time I was working part-time as a pizza chef, as a sales consultant, as a dishwasher, doing all sorts of stuff just to try to keep the business going. And it was always the, for me, the realization that, you know, climate change is the biggest issue on planet earth. It, it touches so many other issues. And so any small thing that I could do to try to help is important to me. So it, ultimately I was always trying to build something which helps solve that issue. And so, yeah, that always just kept me motivated to, to keep going, even in those dark moments. Can you maybe explain what EHEP does right now and what weather risk management means? I'm probably not able to explain it as good as you do. Sure. So large construction projects happen outside. That's obvious. And weather happens outside. <laughs> so, you know, the first thing is that when heavy rainstorms or high winds And they don't even have to be that heavy or that high uh, winds to, you know, to affect the operations of a construction project because they're safety issues, or maybe you're digging a big trench and that can get, you know, washed away and you have to start again. So as a thing, weather impacts the site, but in the past, construction companies probably have been not so sophisticated in the way that they deal with that risk. They will just, you know, apply generic risk. They'll just say, oh, we're probably going to lose 10 days in January, five days in February. And so that's what so it was more it. like a gut feeling. Uh, we've done exactly. it, we have 10 years of experience. It's like 10 days and we just add 10 days to the project. Exactly. Exactly that. It's always a gut feel, but the climate crisis is increasing weather variability. So, you know, in Latin America, there's more droughts in England, there's heavier rain, you know, all of the gut feel that you could previously rely on now is being completely changed. And so it's critical for these businesses who, by the way, only make, you know, two to 3% as a margin per year. So they don't have very much room for error. They need to get smart about how they predict how weather is going to hit them and, and how they plan their works to avoid that. And how big is the weather risk? It's, it's hard to know because the industry is not very good at tracking mm -hmm. <laughs> things. So that's one of the issues is that they don't know how big that issue is, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the biggest reasons that, that milestones are missed. And if, if a milestone is missed, that means the project is delayed. And if a project is delayed, you have to pay more money because you have to keep paying people to do the work. There's a lot of statistics out there. I think, you know, people saying that 21% projects are extended on average by 21% by bad weather. We know that for the insurance industry, which obviously helps, you know, helps the construction industry mitigate its loss. Weather is one of the, it's about 56% of the cause of loss in the civil engineering part of the of the construction insurance space. So it's, you know, it's not just these big storms though. It's not just big hurricanes, which obviously are a big chunk of it, but it's also just if rain patterns are becoming generally heavier and you're, so the ground is just generally more saturated, for example, then, you know, that, that, that creates massive, massive problems. How do you solve it? I mean, do you have your own weather forecast algorithms? Do you go on site and plant weather sensors? How do you mitigate this? So there's four parts to it. One part is planning and we give them mm -hmm. advanced algorithms so that they know how weather is going to impact their site and they can plan their works accordingly. Then once they're on site, we give them yeah advanced forecasts with a number of tools to help them sort of rearrange work in an optimal way. So again, it's mm -hmm. about, you know, how can we try and avoid this risk? 
We then have a smart contracts solution, which, which is, we believe the first in the construction industry. And this automates a lot of the admin that happens around the contract, which was the original you know, path that we took into weather risk. So just as an example, if you're on a construction site, your client, the person who's paying you to do the project has basically said that they will share that weather risk with you in some way, if the weather mm -hmm. risk is very, very bad. So let's just say a big storm happens. If that storm is over a certain threshold, then our system automatically triggers that that storm was over this threshold and that, and then a compensation needs to be paid to that, to that organization. Whereas in the past, they had a lot of arguments uh, and that took quite a long time for them to work that out because of course they didn't necessarily want to pay. And then the final tool is, is an insurance product. So again, if that storm occurs and they are paying to cover themselves for that storm, then we automatically pay some amount of money um, that would help them, you know, get themselves back on track. Now with the COVID pandemic and the construction sites where people are working on them, did this affect your business? Yeah. COVID-19 affected us in a couple of ways. And actually this brings me back to one of the rock bottom moments we had. So the Innovate UK grant that we are doing, we are working with Bam Nuttall and Ferrovial Construction, two very large construction companies as well as Clyde & Co, big solicitors, and then Digital Catapult and Connected Places Catapult. So a, a really good selection of partners. But to be able to do that grant, we had to raise a certain amount of investment ourselves. So we had to get some money so that the government would give us some money. And we were just in the process of closing our round, which by the way, had taken me about eight months to get three or four investors interested. And then lockdown happened. <laughs> And so suddenly we were like, oh, are we going to be able to close this deal? How is this going to happen? And genuinely on the last two days where we could have raised the money, we finally closed the round, got the money in that we needed. But even then we, we didn't close it all at once. We had to close it in three tranches, which uh, I hate to say this, but we spent a lot more money on lawyers than we would have liked because we had to create a more complex structure for that round. So the COVID-19 pandemic right at the start hit us in the bank account in terms of paying for these legal fees, which we wouldn't normally have had to. But luckily, the construction industry has been very smart in the way that it has dealt with the pandemic, actually. So on the one hand, they've digitized a lot of their operations so in, in a way that they perhaps wouldn't, wouldn't have for a number of years. So they've gotten better at that digital side of things. But they've also put in place really good sort of social distancing rules, which meant that after the first lockdown, they've been able to just be back on site completely. So, so yeah, it's luckily there was a big hit at the beginning, but then it's, it's completely been solved since then. This past years, and now you're talking also with the pandemic, what was the hardest decision that you've made? I don't know if there was a, a single moment that was the hardest decision, but I'll tell you that. So if, you, if you're a founder and you're listening or trying to be a founder, so January 2020, I knew that I had three months left before I had to close this round. And I also was working for another business as a, a sales consultant. And so every day I would get up at five in the morning and spend three hours before work getting lists, uh, getting names of investors that I wanted to contact. Then I would do my you know consulting for the start this other startup in the day. And then in the afternoon, um, come home and just try and send out as many emails as I possibly could. And, and over that three month period was getting up every day, basically, you know, five or six in the morning so that I could do things before work. It takes so much effort to decide that you're 
because you could have decided to give up, right? I could have just said, this is not going to work. Or I could have decided to get up at seven and not having not have sent enough emails. And there's definitely other ways of doing it. You know, if you know investors already, then it's a better route to go down. But I didn't know any investors. So I had to reach out cold to people. And that was the only way I knew how. So that was that was the hardest part, waking up at whatever time in the morning. <laughs> Did your social life, was your social life impacted by, by this? You, you have an almost full-time job for your own startup. Then you also work as a sales consultant. There, if you want to do some sport and then sleep a couple of hours, then there isn't much time left for social contact. So how did you deal with it? I definitely wasn't going to the pub after work, <laughs> <laughs> but I managed to, yeah, take the weekends off for the most part. So until the pandemic, of course, and then, <laughs> then you're locked in the house with what else are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. So coming back to Ehab, and your goal of making a social and environmental impact. Now, I perfectly understand how you're helping construction sites, but if they are done on time, if they reach all their milestones on time, how does help our environment? I guess there's two, three big things actually. So one is through the construction process, a lot of waste happens because, you know, for example, if, if you've got a delivery of concrete, and it's not the right temperature to be able to pour the concrete because it's too cold. And if, if it's too cold, then concrete won't harden in the right way. That concrete can only last for a number of hours in that truck before it then has to be thrown away, basically. And so weather is a part of wastage in the industry. It can also, you know, flood materials and damage them. There's an impact where if we can be more conscious and better about planning for the weather, then we can avoid some of that wastage. The second part is if a project is delayed, it's going to be more expensive. And we know that we have to build a huge amount of infrastructure over the next few years. And I'm talking, you know, renewable energy infrastructure, smart grids, electric charging stations, all of the infrastructure that's going to help us move to a net zero world. Well, if that infrastructure is more expensive than it should be, then that's going to limit the speed at which we can deliver that infrastructure, which we need to deliver as fast as possible. So reducing costs is going to help us deliver that infrastructure faster and better. And the final piece of it is, like I said, you know, weather is becoming more extreme. And so if we aren't able to counteract that increase in risk, then banks, insurers, all of the people who lend and, and sort of put around the risk things for these large projects, all of those costs are going to go up. So there's the same, there's the same effect There's a compounding effect. If we can't deal with this weather risk, then costs will just rise. And then it will be a, it will be an argument for people to say, well, transitioning is too expensive. So let's not do it. So for me, it's, it's, it's about being more resilient in the face of what is going to happen and, and trying to help, you know, reduce the costs of that transition. Now you mentioned net zero world. I'm not familiar with this terminology. What does it mean? At the moment, every action that we take, you know, this this conversation over Zoom has has some sort of carbon emission associated mm -hmm. with it, because probably we've had to burn natural gas or oil or something to produce the energy to run everything. In a net zero world, the concept is that we can have all of these same things, these same, you know, luxuries effectively, but they don't have any impact on the environment. So probably one of the biggest steps is to make sure that our electricity system is decarbonized so that, that none of the um, electricity produced has a carbon emission to it. But then there's, you know, a number of other things. Probably we have to plant a load more trees. Probably we have to eat 
a lot less or even no meat or, you know, there's a number of things that will enable that net zero world to happen. But a key part of that is, yeah, is infrastructure, is, is buildings. So a lot of our buildings are very wasteful in the way that they use energy. So a net zero world is just a world in which, you know, we've somehow solved the problem of emitting so much carbon. Unfortunately, time is pressing and I would like to ask you the last recurring question. And this is, which book had the most impact on you? The book that got me into startups and wanting to, to build a business was Bold by Peter Diamandis. Uh, and it's about not just starting a business to have a business, but about starting something to solve a grand challenge in the world. And so the grand challenge I thought of and was inspired by was the climate crisis, very broad, but you know, pick pick a challenge, which is massive, is effectively the message of the book. And it's, it's a really good read. Okay, great. Can you please share with our listeners the way how they can contact you if it's on LinkedIn or email and, and if there is anything else that you would like to add or share? Maybe give us a piece of advice for the young entrepreneurs that are thinking of building their first business. Yeah. So please do reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm Josh MC Graham. On LinkedIn, you'll see ehab.co uh, is the website. So you can probably contact me through there as well if you want to. I think the, for me, the message is really is, well, two things. Always be trying to find the problem that inspires you. Because if you can think of a load of different problems in the world, just ask yourself, would I want to spend the next 50 years trying to solve that problem? Because like my journey, I could have, you know, I could have given up in year two. But I've ended up spending five years learning to eventually get to the point where I'm now able to solve that challenge. So ask yourself, is this problem inspiring enough and exciting enough that I would want to work on it for the next 50 years? If the answer is no, then probably don't put your time into that. If the answer is yes, then it's a long, hard journey and start to learn and start to really try and understand, okay, what are the ways that this problem is being solved today? What are the new ways that that problem could be solved? Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you for sharing uh, your experience and sharing advice with us. Uh, I wish you good luck and I really hope that you solve the, the problem that you're challenging and I wish you good luck with it. Thanks, Adrian. Likewise. Thank you so much. All the resources mentioned in this episode and the way to contact Josh will be in the description of the episode. Thanks for listening to the Innovation Friday podcast, the place where your startup journey begins. Please let me know how to improve the show. See you next time.